This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to News Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by the great Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle. How you doing, man? Um, doing pretty good now, getting an introduction like that. I mean... It's been kind of eventful, hasn't it? Yeah. So, I really wanted to talk about Strictly Basketball on this podcast. In fact, in my original text to you, I think I said like the plan was to discuss just training camp and preseason. But this China story has become just like one big international mess for the NBA. And it happened in a way that completely threw me off guard. And it threw a lot of people off guard. Because when I first read Daryl's tweet, I kind of dismissed it as like a normal thing that he would tweet. Or like a normal thing to say in general. And then Tillman Fertitta quote tweeted it and publicly dismissed. He tried to dismiss the Rockets from it. And in my head, I'm like, okay, this is like a major story now. Actually, let's start there. When you first saw Daryl's tweet, did you expect it to be as controversial as it ended up being? Well, yes, and then some. However, I was at 35,000 feet over the Pacific when he tweeted it, so no Wi-Fi, you know, on the way back from Honolulu. So I saw it later when it had already been deleted and when Tillman had already responded. But... So like you, having seen Tillman's, I knew right away when I read Tillman's response, I knew people thought he was very heavy handed and maybe in some ways he was, but what he was trying to do, maybe naively, certainly ineffectively, he was trying to put out that fire before it got going. Uh, he knew what it would be. And of course that didn't work. And, you know, he, well, I'm told Daryl deleted the tweet even before Tillman's response, but you know, he knew right away, oh my gosh, this is going to be gigantic, uh, but by the time I saw it, and you know, I saw Tillman's response, I knew how China would react to that, or, you know, China sees everything, Daryl could have hit the delete button seconds after he had sent, they'd have seen it, and they react the way we've all seen that that's kind of typical of Beijing when they want to make a stand and when they want to saber rattle uh, they, there's no gray area they go all out yeah I, I saw that criticism about Tillman's response and, and at, at first I kind of agreed with it like I thought if you were gonna if you were gonna distance yourself from what Daryl tweeted the way to do that was through traditional PR channels you know like a put out a statement you don't have to quote tweet your own general manager and kind of throw him under the bus but you kind of figure if if he, he was that forceful, the backlash behind the scenes must have been pretty strong. 
Like Tad Brown, the CEO of the Rockets, must have been hearing from China almost immediately after that tweet. Absolutely. And yeah, he had to be strong if he was going to try and defuse it. And yeah, I mean, he could have included, you know, we respect each employee to have his personal opinion and share whatever. The kind of thing that uh, Adam Silver was saying in some of his comments uh, to try and say we respect freedom of speech, but there was going to be damage done. And I don't believe Daryl considered that and said, no, this is a stand I want to make. I think he did it without thinking about the ramifications and the repercussions. Uh, it's still, you know, it's, it's an important point to be made, but he made it and at a cost to others. You know, it, it, we're talking many, many millions of dollars. We're probably talking people's jobs in China, in New York, throughout the NBA. Uh, I don't believe that he considered that and said, no, nope, this is a stand I have to make. I think he sent it because it's how he felt and then realized immediately, oh boy, this is going to take off and, you know, tried to unring that bell. Yeah, and um, The Ringer wrote a story about how it seemed like Daryl was attacking this story from like a personal standpoint. It seems like he had friends in China, and he was concerned about their safety, and so he tweeted that. And it seemed like he had all the right motivations behind it. He just didn't have that 30,000-foot view that perhaps he should have had, uh, you could argue. And, you know, so you wrote a story about how almost immediately uh, Chinese sponsors and media outlets like Tencent pulled out of the Rockets market and everybody can go check out Jonathan's Twitter feed for that story. But essentially these Chinese companies were pissed and completely disassociated themselves from the Rockets. And that's big. That's big because the Rockets are the second most popular team in China, if not first. I mean, if you look at the preseason, like the numbers that preseason game, the Rockets played against the Shanghai Sharks was doing, it had nearly 5 million views alone. Just a preseason game against the Sharks had 5 million views in China. Um, and that's just the kind of impact they have there. That that that's, that's going back to Yao. That's going back to even to some respect Jeremy Lin. Like they've just had such a impact in China, and and, and you know their players have been made made an effort to go to China every single year. Uh, that, that includes James Harden and Russell Westbrook used to go to China when he was with OKC. Like th- this is just something that they think is important for their brand, and it's it's done them wonders, but. These Chinese these Chinese companies were really pissed. Now you've been covering the Rockets for over twenty years, and you've been following the NBA for some time. Have you ever seen the league get this kind of international blowback before? Probably not. No, I don't think there's you know the international. No, I can't even imagine something to compare. Keep in mind, China has reacted this way to Western companies quite often, actually. Uh, But those companies and and the issues weren't as public as a basketball executive with a large following. Uh, You know, their Mercedes, vans pulled back just this weekend, some shoes, um, and some of the airlines that listed um, Hong Kong as a separate country, separate from China, which China reacted extremely strongly to. Uh, And so this has happened before. And what often happens, and this is what the NBA is now hoping, 
And by the way, the response from Daryl Morey, the response from the NBA, the, the statements, you can read the way they're written, and in many ways they are similar to the way some of the previous ones were written, is so that when it gets translated, can China then say that they received the response they wanted? You know, I, I've been told by some of the people who deal with China in some of these things that that is the hope it will move very slowly to that, but they think it will eventually get there. You know, the airlines made the correction that they wanted, that they, they no longer listed Hong Kong as a separate airline, as a separate country, and, and just left it at that. One of them had a map that did it. They didn't even list it in like your booking. Um, but there, when it comes to the territories, sort of the semi-autonomous territories, it, it's an enormous issue with China. And, uh, but others have navigated that. And China will typically react like this. They will, Beijing, and when I keep saying China will, China will, when you're dealing with negotiations with Chinese companies, there's basically two ways that you negotiate. There's sort of the traditional one party way, the old school, the government runs everything, and you deal with the government and, and companies as if they are the government, because in many ways they are one and the same. And then there is the more Western way, because there is a, a great deal of, of Chinese business that is educated in Western business and negotiating styles. And it's important for these companies to stand who, how to deal with each one of these negotiations, which of those two ways. When it comes to anything Hong Kong related, it is that first way. And it is made extremely clear uh, that's what we are seeing here, that every one of these different entities, whether they're media or tech or sporting goods, they're all going to react as Beijing wants. And it makes sense, just based off their reaction, they were all unilateral and like reacted instantly all at the same time, it seemed. But going back to something you said earlier, so you actually believe the Chinese translation on that NBA statement was intentional, like as, as a way of perhaps currying public favor back the other way? Well, either the translation or just even the English wording is in a way that seems consistent with the previous ones, and I don't believe that's a coincidence. You know, that really these companies word it the same way, uh, it, that doesn't seem likely to be coincidental, that uh, they'd be so similar in the way they worded it. Uh, I think it was meant, I think it was helped crafted by some of the people that the NBA deals with, whether it's Joe Tsai, the new owner of uh, the Nets and the founder of Alibaba. I would not have been surprised if connections with the China Basketball Association, which could mean Yao Ming, helped with the wording. The wording had to be chosen very carefully. Yeah, the Nets owner's response was pretty strong. It, it threw me back a little bit. Do you think that kind of a statement kind of derails things a little bit as the, as the NBA and the Rockets are trying to get things back on track? I'm totally trying to help. Trying to help the Rockets and the NBA. And so by putting out that statement, it had to be strategic. And not just strategic to make him even richer. It had to be strategic that, see, that we have ties, real deep ties now between China and the NBA, 
don't walk away. If you're China, don't walk away from that relationship. You know, I've got your back. Uh, I'm told he's very motivated to help bridge this, to, to bring this to a conclusion. Fair enough. The moment the Rockets received that blowback, it felt like they had three options, and this was always the safest option. The, you know, the other two options were like come out firmly against China and say you're not going to bully us into firing a high-profile executive like this. Uh, option two was you know both the league and Houston give in to China and you know give in to their demands of essentially you know letting go of Daryl. I mean, it's it's not something. I don't think it was very discreet in the way that China, that China was requesting Houston. It was very clear what they wanted. They wanted the Rockets to let go of Daryl. At least that's the way it felt to me. Um, it felt very uh, it felt very deliberate in that way. And option three was the way that they, the way they did things, which was this apology from Daryl and, and kind of walking back the, the his tweet a little bit, and the league in Houston apologizing for offending the Chinese, and both parties kind of pray that their sponsors accept this and come back to the table. But it's, it's very complicated like in that way. I, I just don't know what comes of this in six months. Yeah, well, the, the most likely thing is that the NBA continues to have its relationship, but the Rockets don't. And the, Rock, the Rockets, they're going to lose a lot of sponsors. It's not just the Chinese sponsors. It's multinationals that want inroads into the Chinese market and are doing it through the wildly popular NBA team. And so it's going to cost a lot. It will be very costly. Um, but the way things were worded, it, I read it the same way you did. That Are they trying to force the Rockets to fire a, a top executive? And a lot of it, and Ben Rhodes put this very well, it's a message. Don't any of you companies, all of you companies that are in China, don't you even think of entering into our politics, our, our positions. They're sending a message to much more than Daryl Morey's job, you know, because you wonder, okay, really, are they really this bent out of shape over a seven word tweet by one of thousands of NBA employees? You know, is that really it? No, they're, they're, sending a word to all the companies that are entered into that market. Yeah. And this is going to sound like a stupid question, but I think it's important. Why hasn't Yao Ming come out and spoken publicly on the subject yet? He can't. I mean, he has to, I mean, it's a totalitarian government, which means total, you know, and he works, he runs the CBA. Well, in China, that means, you know, you work for the government. Um, it's not like Adam Silver. Uh, I, you would, he will absolutely do what he can to bring a peace, right. to sort of bridge the groups. But, you know, he, it's going to defy the Chinese government. It's not an option that they have there. Yeah, because if, you th- if there's one person that you would think could help smooth over this relationship, it's Yao, right? And you, know, you can make the argument that him being the president of the CBA and cutting off ties with the Rockets, you know, you could say, you know, actions speak louder than words. But as you said earlier, like, I don't think that was all Yao Ming's call. I think a lot of that was the government. I, th- I thought a lot of that was the, the way these other companies react, like responded. He had no choice. And 
you know, I'm, I just think it's interesting. I, I just would like to hear what Yao has to say about all this. Like, you know, maybe we, we don't get that now. Maybe we get that in six months. But it just seems like an obvious figure in, in all this that hasn't come out and spoken on this subject. Yeah, that's not the, that's not their way, you know. And as I said, when it comes to Hong Kong, it's very much that first way of dealing with China. It, it's the government. It is this authoritarian government. And, you know, he, he has always been incredibly deft at dealing with that reality. Um, and I imagine he is now, too. It's not what we'll ever get to see. But is he going to be the liaison at least communicating? And, you know, I don't know if the Rockets can salvage some of the relationship. It could be just gone for them. You know, some of the business relationships. But... Uh, as far as the NBA as a whole, uh, we're talking just a tremendous amount of business being done. Can can that be saved? And I think it can. Yeah, and I, and I think I read a number somewhere that like 20 million people watched Game 6 of the NBA Finals this year, or some, some ridiculous number in China. And like... That's kind of what we're talking about. Like the the NBA in China have become sort of synonymous over the past fifteen years, and a lot of that is because of the Rockets. So th- this this story is really unfortunate in how it's playing out. Hopefully, both parties can come to the table and hammer something out. Maybe uh, maybe it takes some time. Maybe it doesn't happen this year. Maybe it happens in a couple of years, and these relationships smooth over. But it's something the Rockets uh, don't want going into training camp. It's something that it's a dark cloud that they would rather not have to deal with going in. Um, so, I don't even know how to transition from that. What's the biggest thing that stuck out from you, that stuck out to you from Rockets training crap in preseason so far? Oh, that's a hard one. The biggest thing. Um, I, you know, it, it, everything sort of seemed on hold until Russell Westbrook began playing in games. I will say, physically, I've heard he's looked terrific, that his timing is off, he does seem rusty, but physically, you know, the guy gets up and down the court like he's on skates, which, of course, we've all seen over the years, but it's important that a guy who had been held out as part of a rehab plan looks so physically good. And so I've heard that quite a bit. Uh, You know, I think in some ways... Harden just continues to amaze me in ways that people never talk about. Uh, his vision is just ridiculous. What, watching him the other night in Honolulu, uh, and it was one of those where you get to sit courtside, so you're right there, where you can pick up loose balls if you're so inclined. Uh, it just what he sees is just incredible. And it's, it's right now, like, you know, the expression mid-season form, I also thought he was looking to work on his shot. His shot just hasn't really clicked in yet. Um, and he is trying to work himself into better shape, into ready for to be your best shape in game one. Maybe that's what I would say stands out the most, is when he talked about that, and it goes back to something Daryl, excuse me, not Daryl Morey, um, that uh, the Rockets have spoken about quite a bit from Mike D'Antoni on, that they weren't ready to start last season. They have to be ready with the loaded West. They have to be ready by game one. And that's what Harden seemed to be doing by playing 25 to 28, 29 minutes in those first two games. 
uh, and I bet you he will tomorrow, that he is trying to push himself to be the way he became last year, but to be that way at game one. Yeah, going back to the vision thing with Harden, like, I don't think, like, I think I underestimated Harden's passing going into 2016-17, where he really had that first year with Mike D'Antoni, and they started to push the pace, and then he started doing this thing with Clint Capella, where Clint Capella would kind of cherry pick and run these fast breaks, and he would throw these audacious passes that, like, made... I think maybe two two players in the NBA have the permission to throw those kind of passes, and it's like LeBron and Harden, and maybe you could say Draymond Green. Like, there's not many players that can throw those kind of full court transition passes, and it's unfortunate these past two years we haven't gotten to see that because the Rockets have slowed down their pace so much, and it seems like this preseason that's what's really stuck out to me. It's the, the Rockets and their pace, like. That's going to be the biggest difference from last year's Rockets team to this year's Rockets team, just in my opinion, just from what I've seen so far. Like you're starting to see, in, even in preseason, some of those full court passes come back, some of those you know fast break opportunities come back with the Rockets, and I think that that to me is going to be the most significant impact of this of the Russell Westbrook edition. Like they're starting to play fast already, and he hasn't even touched the floor yet. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you can tell. And granted, it's the Shanghai Sharks, and you shouldn't read anything into that game, or really any preseason game. But you can sort of see the mindset that they brought up, and that was clear, that they wanted to run and hard look to push the ball. As you said, he's always looked to to pass it ahead. While Westbrook is more of a coast-to-coast guy, uh, he's always looked Westbrook does throw it ahead as well, but Harden more so. Westbrook more his rebound and, and dribble it out, pass break, you know, sort of a one-man break. They are looking to do that. I think that will continue. On the other hand, I don't know how significant that is. They were one of the all-time great half-court teams last year, a great offensive team. I think they can be better, but that's not the area where they have to be better most of all. They have to be better defensively and defensive rebounding more than anything. Uh, but they are looking to run, and that, that has stood out since the first minutes of the first preseason game. Yeah, it, it's just something so obvious, and, and and even in training camp, you saw the Rockets starting to run their sets even faster. Like the Rockets, uh, Mike D'Antoni in particular loves running the twenty one series. He ran it in Phoenix, and with Houston, they didn't get to run a lot of the action that encompasses in the twenty one series. Like they they had to take a lot of it out because they had to play a certain style in order to succeed with all the injuries they had last year. They had to play a lot more slow down, run through Harden, and run more isolation. And now you're starting to see some of those sets come back, and they're they're starting to run some more of that action, and it it just provides a little bit more variety, I think. And it, it, you may not see some of that value come into come into form in the regular season, but I think in the postseason, um, that that sort of variety comes of value. Well, I agree on the uh, on the variety. I'm going to be a little skeptical that they can run their sets as quickly as we've seen so far when they're playing against locked in teams and better defensive teams. And some of the natural, you know, like teams always say, we're going to run this year. That, that's one of the training camp cliches. Yeah. We're really looking to run this year. Well, it's the same thing with how well you run through your half-court offense. Well, you know, there were some of the great Spurs teams that really ran it fast and, and you know, aggressively, assertively. 
as time goes, even just weeks into the season, let's see if they maintain that. Uh, not entirely sure that they will. But I do think they will look to run when they can. We're talking about how rapidly they execute in the half court. You know, let's see. But I do think in the open court, if they can rebound well enough, uh, much better than they did last year, I do think you will see them push it much more. Right. So last season, you kind of saw the Rockets diverge a little bit from switch everything on defense, right? Like they they dropped Clint Capello back a little bit more. And with Harden, they they, they just stopped switching a, like a lot more than they did previously. Like they were still switching a lot, don't get me wrong, but they, they slowed it down a little bit. It seems like they're going even more in that direction, playing a little bit more conservative, dropping Clint, Clint back even more, icing pick and rolls, which we haven't seen from the Rockets pretty much since Jeff Bezdelic took the job. Uh, and it seems like with Elston Turner, they're going to go with the more traditional style of defense, more conservative, more kind of like what Utah runs, like that kind of look. They're still going to switch. I have a feeling that that's not going to stop anytime soon. And once they play the elite, elite teams, they're going to have to switch. But but you kind of see that they're starting to you know taper it back a little bit so that when they play these 28 other teams, they can play a more reserved style, and you don't have to have Clint and um, and PJ switch out on the perimeter as much. Why do you think they've 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 gone to this kind of a style? Well, they disagree with your premise. They say they are not changed at all from last from. I disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I, dis- I I disagree with that. I mean, you you can you can clearly see that the switching has has come down a bit. Well, they, they insist. I've asked several times in Honolulu about that. And they, they absolutely say, no, this is exactly what we did after the All-Star break. That said, yes, but if you're playing Tyson Chandler as a backup center instead of P.J. Tucker, you're not switching as much. You're going to have him in drop positions. Yeah, you you're can. not having Tyson Chandler switch on guards. Yeah. You know, so... Strategically and even philosophically, maybe they're not changed from the way they finished last season, which was changed from the way they began last season. Maybe. But personnel could cause you to change. And the personnel change is Tyson Chandler. Uh, as the backup, a very traditional rim-protecting backup center. So at least when he's on the floor, you will see, I think, a more traditional look defensively than they showed with their backups last year. But they say with Clint on the floor, you know, there's there are times he, he was in drop positions last year as well. But they will be switching a lot of on-ball screens and even more off-ball screens involving perimeter players. And we've seen that in the preseason too. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a strength of Clint. Like, and that's kind of why I asked that because, like, Clint – and I, I thought he he declined a little bit last year in terms of the, his switching ability. But in general, he's one of the better center switch defenders in the NBA. Like He's just really good at defending guards when he's out there. And like, I, I don't know what happened with him last year. Perhaps he wasn't as, great, as in great shape. But he, just last year, it, it didn't seem like he had that same oomph to him on the perimeter. Like, like, like you saw teams like Portland search him out and try to attack him. And... I thought that was the that was the emphasis that was the reason for them going to that that kind of dropback scheme a little bit you know kind of peeling it back a little bit, but 
you know, if they're going to do that this year, it, it seems like that's that's a concerted effort. And it, it, it may be just the addition of Tyson Chandler. That, it makes a lot of sense. Tyson can't switch, especially at age 38. Like, you don't expect any 38-year-old center to sw- be able to switch on the perimeter and defend guards. So that makes a lot of sense. Why would you want him to? I mean, yeah. he's a terrific rim defender. It's the thing, you know, he's 38 or 37, but he's still really tall. That didn't change. And he knows where to be and when to be there, and you can count on him, and no one talks like him. I mean, he is constant, and which is a good example, too, for Clint and others. Uh, of course you want him as a rim protector. So I, I do think, even, even if you say, okay, they're going to run the exact same things, the exact same way involving Clint, having the ability to be strong in more than one way is valuable. If to be able to say, okay, let's do this now and be able to think you do it well, there's a great value to that. No, there is. I understand that. Um, so one of the bigger storylines uh, that kind of developed going into training camp this year, I thought was the addition of Ryan Anderson because it kind of came out of nowhere. But but it seemed like the Rockets were in contact with Ryan Anderson for a couple of months, and, and it, it kind of came together towards towards the end of the summer. And it seems like I mean, you see him in training camp; he's practicing with the main group. Like he's not pra- he's not practicing with the other guys; he's practicing with the main group. And there's a I I believe at least I think there's a position for him. Like I, I think that backup for. You like you you look at what the Rockets have right now. I mean, they're they're pretty much all perimeter guys, and I I, I think there's there's a need for size at that backup four position. Do you see a role for him in this rotation, at least in the regular season? Not it right away. Um, I, I think you might be reading a little much into those. You know, the Rockets training camp of two days. You know, they had two days of two days. And we didn't see the one time that Tabo Cephalosha participated. So they were sort of managing P.J. Tucker a little bit, and Tabo wasn't here. I think initially, depending on how things go through the preseason, they're thinking of Tabo there uh, as the backup four. And who knows how much Daniel House plays there as opposed to the three. Um, but, you know, I did something in Honolulu about that where D'Antoni said, no, he's a four. He's absolutely a four for us. That's where he will be playing. That they want him on the court, and they've got they're they're very crowded on the wings with Eric starting and uh, Gerald Green and, and Austin Rivers and Daniel House all getting minutes at the two and three. They want Tom on the court. It's going to be as a four. And so, to me, the the value of Anderson is that he knows. He doesn't need to play every single night to know how to run their stuff. He can be the same guy if he does play every night or if he hasn't played in a week and now you need him. He's going to knock down shots. That's what he does. But it looks like initially, you know, we'll see what happens. Preseason just started. But it looks like initially the plan is for Tabo to be the backup for. So does does Ryan have a role with this team is, I guess, what I'm asking? The emergency guy. You know, he he's... He, as a guy to step in um, when they need someone and they feel like they can count on. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and I think with this Nene contract situation, like I would be genuinely surprised if Nene plays more than nine games for the Rockets. So I think, you know, maybe there's a role there. You know, maybe if 
the Rockets need a backup center and a pinch and maybe Tyson Chandler's out, you know, maybe you can play. I, I guess the role for Ryan would be backup center in that kind of a situation. Well, that, that's a good point. <laughs> I think that's a very good point. But there also could be minutes for him as, as a backup center. You know, they'd like that. Range shooting five. Um, and, you know, it depends on matchups and things like that. But, you know, I think you make a good point there that it, it might be right now, I, I'd say Isaiah Hartenstein looks like he's outside the rotation, even if they do monitor Tyson Chandler's work. And part of that is the option, of course, to go small with P.J. Tucker. But yes, with Ryan Anderson as an option there, too. Um, last question before we get out of here. Do you buy what Ben McLemore is selling during preseason? <laughs> well, he looked really good, didn't he? Yeah, he does. And, he does. Yeah, he looked good. He, you know, I think he's got a chance. I mean, the the end of my story about McLemore the other day, uh, Dan Tony saying, he has a shot. He has a chance. He really does have a chance. You know, he was very enthusiastic about what he has seen so far. Uh, and so why wouldn't he? he? He definitely, he looks like a guy who's something of a veteran that he knows now to fill a role. And, you know, he was when you draft in seventh, there might be a, a pressure to be a star, to, to be more than just a guy looking off of someone else. And certainly the Kings didn't have at that time, the someone else. Now, he's on a team that does, and then some. And so, you know, again, I don't know, I don't see him in the rotation right away, when they're at full strength. I mean, we just listed all those wings they've got that are ahead of him. But, you know, why not? He's a terrific athlete. He has a, a good shot that has improved in recent years. And he seems to really understand how to work off of Harden. You know, and just judging from those two games. So, I, I, you know, I'll quote D'Antoni there. He has a chance. He has a shot. Right. No, like, it, it reminds me a lot of Gerald Green from two years ago when they signed him. Like, his role is in this Rocket system. is It's very simple. Uh, it's it's very easy to follow. Uh, it, it's when he's on the floor, you know exactly what he's going to do, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. And you know, sometimes in the NBA, it's all about ecosystem. You know, sometimes it's all about where you are and and the role you're being ha- asked to play. And I think with the Rockets and Ben McLemore, like his what the Rockets are asking him to do is is very easy. It's 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 it's, it's very not hard to follow if you're a player like him. And I think maybe this might be. This might be a landing spot for him, at least for this season. Well, yeah, and, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense because it's what Dan Tony has always said. You know, you, they trade for a guy or acquire a guy as a straight agent, and it's run to the corner and run there real fast. You know, that's your job. You know, now the other thing that might benefit him that even Gerald didn't have a couple of years ago, if they do run much more, and if his minutes come, let's say, with Russ, the backup point, he can also be scoring on a break because he does run the floor extremely well. And so, yeah, he could benefit. Uh, I, the Rockets traditionally, under Maury, have used those last roster spots for developmental guys. But in the era of the two-way, it, I could see them using it as a guy, as a fill-in when you need an emergency fill-in. And so, yeah, he's, he's got a good chance. He's in a good place. Fair enough. Jonathan, where can we follow you on Twitter, and where, where can we find all your work? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, J 
Jonathan underscore Fagan on Twitter. I don't know why. It's just what I did when we first started with Twitter, however many years ago. And Fagan is F-E-I-G-E-N. And, uh, you know, I'm in Houston Chronicle, so go to HoustonChronicle.com and especially subscribe, if you would, to uh, Texas Sports Nation at HoustonChronicle.com. That's where the, the good stuff all goes, you know, from our columnists and everybody else. Uh, so HoustonChronicle.com and Texas Sports Nation. But I appreciate you allowing me to say that there. No problem. Thanks so much for coming on, Jonathan. I enjoyed it. That was Jonathan Vega, the Houston Chronicle. Again, if you're not following him already, you definitely are making a mistake. Make sure to follow him for all his great Rockets coverage at the Houston Chronicle. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you haven't already, give us five stars. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs>